Active FM presents Food for Thought with Pastor Kevin and Pastor Vicky Ensley. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life, that you'd minister to my heart. May your word be revealed to me today in a way that I will understand it so that I can speak it and do it and see it change my life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing with our series, A Wise Man Once Said. And obviously last week we, we, we looked at that documentary, I Want My Sex Back. And I just wanted to start off there because um, today we're talking about the fact that there's a battle of the heart. Now, when I sat down with the guys that are in my cell group, um, one of the things that they were sharing was how many of them related that whole thing about the transgender issue to their own sin, to their own lives, where they thought if they did some sinful thing or some thing where they need to compromise or whatever, that they're going to be happy and then they would do the thing and then find out it, it made things worse. And so what I want you to realize in terms of that video, the reason why it was so powerful was, well, first of all, it was incredible for me that a video like that and a documentary like that got produced on Russian television. I promise you now, when I was growing up, the old Soviet Union used to persecute the church, and now we've got Russian television producing what looked like a Christian documentary that they broadcast on their own platform. And, and the incredible thing was they just brought out people's testimonies, and all three of those people are people that had found the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what the sin is. It can even be the sin of greed or something like that. You know, the, 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 the story is always going to be the same for someone who finds Jesus. And this is what's so important for you to understand. Everything in our faith is about a battle for the heart. And, and, you know, you can go and change your anatomy. You can go and cut things or slice things or do whatever you want. You can go and smoke things or inject things. You know, all these things that people are doing for recreation. You can go and drink things. You can go and jump off things. You know, people jump off things these days for fun. You can become a fireman or a firewoman. You know what I'm saying? Um, because maybe you think fighting fires is, is going to just do it for you or something like that. You know, whatever you, whatever you, 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 you want to do, all right, it's not going to bring you to the place you want to be unless you find the Lord himself. And understand this, there's a battle for the heart. And Proverbs 4 verse 23 says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, <clears throat> for out of it spring the issues of life. Now I want you to think about what this is saying. A spring is the source of a river. A river starts with a spring. That's maybe some waters coming out the ground or something like that. And so in terms of your life, the spring of your life, the source of your life is your heart. Your heart is going to take you wherever you're going to go. Your heart is going to determine your destiny. I want to warn you that this is one of the verses in the Bible. When I look at the Bible and I look at people, that proves to me that the Bible is the Word of God. Because the heart speaks about motive. And everything in terms of your heart comes out there. And the heart informs wisdom. Wisdom informs knowledge, informs things you hear, which in turn affects your heart. Now, I want you to think about this term wisdom. 
You know, people are after wisdom in all sorts of ways. And many, many people talk about wisdom as being something that if you find wisdom, you find everything. But I want to tell you here this morning, there is the wrong kind of wisdom. Not all wisdom is good. And I want to take you to the book of James, the letter that James wrote, James chapter 3, verse 13 to 17. And you know, the one time I heard a, a preacher named Andy Stanley, he was preaching from the book of James, and he said James is one of the reasons why he came to believe that the Bible is true, because James was the brother of Jesus. So I want you to understand this. James was the brother of Jesus. He was Jesus' brother. He grew up with Jesus. Jesus was his big brother. And James later on comes and he says, Jesus is God. How many of you realize that if your brother or sister tell, tell people you're God, you might just be God? Because I don't know about you, but uh, the, the last people that are going to call you God is your brother or a sister or a husband or a wife or your children. And, and yet he said Jesus was God. And if you read in the Gospel of John, his brothers were against him. Now this same James says this in James chapter 3, verse 13 to 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? Who is wise and understanding among you? Then he says, let, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in, meekness, in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. Now, I want you to listen to me. He's talking to Christians. And I want to tell you that the wisdom that you have can come from somewhere other than heaven. It can be earthly, it can be sensual, which means it's the senses, or even demonic. There it is in the Bible. Your wisdom as a Christian could be demonic. That's what he's, he's warning us here today. And then in verse 16 he says, For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every th evil thing are there. But wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now even whatever issues you're talking about, whether you're talking health issues, whether you're talking political issues, family issues, whatever issues you're talking about, what James says is that wisdom that is from heaven is without partiality. If you're partial, it means you're on the one side and then inevitably you'll be a hypocrite. <clears throat> if you have the wisdom of God, people might be able to call you a hypocrite, but it won't be true. <clears throat> but here's the important thing. Wisdom either comes from above, it comes from heaven, or it comes from below, which is earth or even below the earth. And wisdom from below is also wisdom. Notice it's not the one is wisdom and the other is not wisdom. Both are wisdom, just the wisdom that is from below is inferior. Now if you look at that passage... He talks about the wisdom that is from below. The wisdom that is, is from below has certain types of fruit. It has fruits like envy <clears throat> and jealousy and self-promotion and some other things that he mentions. I, I want you just to think about that for a second. You see, I could even be standing here preaching. And if I'm preaching in such a way that I'm promoting myself, I'm operating in wisdom that is from below because that self-promotion is actually a fruit of what's actually going on. 
But the other thing that this passage says, it speaks about the result of wisdom that is from below. It results in disorder. Oh, look at our world today. Again, not to get political or anything, but has anyone seen what's going on in Afghanistan? <clears throat> hmm? they, call, they call people who speak about what Islam is and what Islam preaches as being Islamophobes. And they call the Taliban radicals. They are radical. They radically follow what Muhammad did. But look at the disorder in the world. Look at the chaos around the world. And wisdom that is from below is still wisdom. Now, I want you to think about jealousy and envy and self-promotion and all of these things that come with wisdom that is from below. I want you to think about what it comes out of. These things come out of human reasoning. When, when you've got jealousy and envy and self-promotion and, and all of these sorts of things going on, it comes out of your own human reasoning. And, and here's the problem with it. It makes sense to the human mind. When you're thinking about it, in your mind it makes sense. It is justifiable to your mind. It is justifiable to your reasoning. You can be as jealous as everything, as, as anything. And at the end of the day, your mind will reason it and it will seem justifiable to you. You can envy what other people have. And your mind can reason it. How many times do people hate other people because of what they have? I want to tell you, you take that out of South Africa. <laughs> you got a fantastic place. But we reason it. Have you noticed when people start reasoning, then everyone's a victim. And when everyone's a victim, then no one's a victor. And, and if you've got a nation full of people that feel like they're losing, you've got a problem. You've got a recipe for, for violence and war. Wisdom that is from below appeals to the logic of the unrenewed mind. Our minds are supposed to be renewed every single day. And so we've got people walking around with all of these thoughts, all of these attributes described there in this passage from James, and they believe that it's justifiable. I'm justifiably angry. I'm justifiably envious. I'm justifiably promoting myself because I'm a good person. A jealous person never thinks they're jealous. And here's the problem. <clears throat> when you're jealous, suspicion hides itself in your mind. You've got these jealous thoughts over here, but behind them is this suspicious heart. Where you just don't trust people. And here's the thing about being suspicious. You know what believers call it? Believers say, oh, that's discernment. I want you to realize something. The devil comes in very subtle ways with this stuff. And he nails us to the wall. Let, let me put it to you this way. I mean, if you're sinning sexually, you know you're sinning. If you're cheating on your spouse or you're cheating on your boyfriend or your girlfriend, whatever it may be, you know you're cheating. When you're lying saying you never stole something, you know you stole, which you, you know is wrong, and you know you're lying. You know you're doing it. But 
when you're jealous, sometimes you think you're spiritual. And you're deceived. And that's why things like this and pride are, are far more dangerous sins in many ways than these things we might do physically. The sins of our motives are a big danger to us. And it's a big danger because it can lead us to a place where we have a spirit of entitlement. And the spirit of entitlement comes out of jealousy and it, it hides there and then also it hides itself and it coats itself in a need for justice. Anytime we're talking about justice, anytime we're saying that justice must be done, we need to be careful that there's not a spirit of entitlement there. And what does the entitlement says? It says, I believe I deserve it. I believe justice must happen. I believe we must have justice. I have a right to do something. You know, I have a right to be happy for once. Have you ever heard people saying that? For once, I put myself first. I like that people always like to say, you know, for once, I've been putting myself out there for others all my life. For once, I need to put myself first. You know, please, man, if any of us come and say that, we are talking the biggest load of hogwash, and most of us have said it, if not all of us. I think if I had to ask everyone to raise their hands who said that, you'll have those who are telling the truth and raise their hands, those who keep their hands down and are lying. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I don't want you to lie. Not in church. But so this is, this is a spirit of entitlement. And this thing leads to misapplied justice. Okay, we, we, we're misapplying the concept of justice. And I want you to think what comes out of that. What comes out of that is criticism. And where we're saying things about others that are not fair. <clears throat> but misapplied justice is often the birthplace of entitlement in a believer's mind. You know, even in church... You could be thinking, you have something or you have an opportunity I should have had. Think about how many things can come out of that. Whether you're talking within the church setting, you're talking within the political setting of the nation, the economic situation, the educational situation. You've got to every sphere of life. We can, we can cloak this spirit of entitlement in a demand for justice. And that results in statements like, it's not fair. You know, we need to make everything fair. And misapplied justice leads to jealousy. Misapplied justice leads to envy. It leads to covetousness. And ultimately, it leads to war. And war kills. And didn't God say, thou shalt not kill? The wisdom that is not from above but from below is a wisdom that often has an appeal to the intellect. It has appeal to the mind. It has an appeal to our desire for justice because we all want justice. I know we, we all people who desire justice and justice is important. In fact, justice is vital for the kingdom. And that's why it's so important that by the blood of Jesus we are justified because the only way that we can enter into heaven is if we are justified. In other words, if justice has been done for our sins, if our sins have been punished, we can get into heaven. And thank God they were punished on the body of Jesus and not on our bodies. Amen. Come on, give the Lord the biggest shout of praise for that today. Amen. We demand justice, but if we got justice, oh my word. All, literally all hell will break loose in our lives. We'll find ourselves squarely in hell. 
So justice is vital for the kingdom because the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice. So you say you desire justice. Really? Are you sure? You know, so many times, even as a church, we desire justice. We desire justice for this one. We desire justice for that one. We desire justice for the next one. Social justice, welfare justice, all sorts of justice, justice everywhere. In fact, we should just, all, all of us start calling ourselves justice. Because we're just so good. We're so humanitarian. We're just people that give everything for justice. And then the question I have to ask you is, you, are you sure you're fighting for justice? I want to I challenge you. Please don't tell me you're fighting for justice if you don't fight for the unborn. I want to say that to you again. Please don't tell me that you're fighting for justice if you don't fight for the unborn. I, I want you to think right now. All of these things with COVID and everything, we're fighting to save lives. But how many lives are we killing every single day? How many are dying in our nation every day and they have no voice? There's no one that's speaking for them. You cannot create a reason for this. Now again, I want to say, any woman that's been through the abortion process, she's already paid a price. I'm telling you now, on the inside of her, she's already paid the price and the blood of Jesus is available for you. Because... Everyone is equally guilty of the murder of that child, not just you. You were guilty of the murder of unborn children long before you had an abortion. The blood of our unborn is crying out from the ground. I'm telling you now, it's a very big deal to God. It's a very big deal that we don't speak about it. And we like to talk about justice, but imagine if that had happened to us, that we were ripped apart in our mother's wombs before we were even born. You know, it's very easy to talk about this and it's humanitarian and all that. What about that poor kid? It's not okay. It's not okay to say that it does not matter. If that does not provoke you to righteous anger, then, then don't speak to me about those who have no voice. Because you're not speaking for them. Those unborn kids have no voice. On top of that, the poor have very little voice. Oh, many people claim to speak for the poor. But you notice how many of those who speak on TV for the poor are not poor. The poor don't get to speak for themselves. Other people get to speak for the poor. Other people get to tell the poor what the poor need. Authority is the proper use of God's voice to work for someone else. I want to say that to you, authority is the proper use of God's voice to work for someone else. The voice of the unborn has to matter. And we have to pray for our land to be healed. I want to read to you James chapter 4 verse 1 to 11. And we're going to break this down this week and next. And it says, why do, why do wars and fights come from among you? Now, again, I want you to understand, he's talking to church here. He's not talking to a bunch of guys or girls that are doing the worst things under the sun. He's talking to the church. 
Why do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may be able to spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It doesn't matter what you've done. God gives grace to the humble. It doesn't matter what you've done. Even if you've been involved in an abortion, or maybe you've murdered other people, or whatever you've done, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will free from you. Notice you've got to submit to God first. Then resist the devil and the devil will run. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who, breaks, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his, his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now I just want to say, and we're going to speak about the thoughts from that passage. I'm going to speak about one or two now and the rest next week. But God wants us to really repent. I want you to look at what it's saying there. All right, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. That's repentance. Not a casual, uh, I'm sorry. What, you don't accept? Can't you hear that I said I'm sorry? You don't accept my sorry? That's not sorry. That's not sorry. God wants us to lament and mourn and weep. And then receive the grace and to humble ourselves. He wants it to come from a place of mourning and gloom because true repentance comes from a place, Lord, I'm giving everything to you. Because if I don't give everything to you, I mess it up. Lord, everything I do is just a mess without you. And the Lord is doing us a favor in any command he gives us. You see, this is what I want us to understand. Every command that God gives us, He's doing us a favor because all of His commands lead to life. They all lead to life. In verse 11, He says, If I judge someone else, I judge the law because I say it's inferior to God's law of love. And so, all of us need to be challenged with this. And now we look at what is the true source of conflict? I want what you have. That's where conflict comes from. I want what you have. James 4, 1 and 2. Why do, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You know, if you think about wars between nations, 
A war between two nations starts because one nation has something that another nation wants. That's where they start. And if we have this in our soul, then we have a war in our soul. And all wars that happen on the outside, it starts in the souls of men and women. Your income or your lack of income does not testify to where you are with God. It doesn't mean because you're poor, you're close to God. It doesn't mean because you're rich, you're close to God. You know, often we, we like to judge people. Some people see, oh, you, if you're rich, you're close to God. Other people see, oh, if you're poor, you're close to God. No, you can be rich or poor and far from God. But God does promise that when we seek His kingdom first, then everything we need will be added to it. I, I want to tell you something today that may shock you. God wants our blessing and he, he wants our blessing to be an addition to life. He doesn't want us to pursue that. When I give myself completely over to God, here's the important thing. When I come and I humble myself before God, then He can trust me. And Jesus promised that those who give everything to Him, He will give back a hundred times with persecution. The persecution keeps us humble. Never despise the persecution. Never despise people who betray you or stab in the back. They're keeping you humble. I know it sucks to say that, eh? Oh, how it sucks. Hey, Calvin, we can make a song. It sucks. Oh, how it sucks. But it's true. It keeps us humble. It keeps us honest. Now, the stuff that Jesus adds is not just the physical things. Because the Apostle Paul spoke in the book of Philippians about how he had learned to be content in all situations. He had learned to be content with much. He had learned to be content with little. He had learned that. The thing is, that is where our desire needs to be to get there. Because when you get to that place, it doesn't matter what you're going through, you have everything you need. God promises to give you everything you need. And if you leave it, with him he can leave it with you you see that's how God works when you leave it with him he can trust you with it God is interested in process but I'm interested in outcome and this is where the conflict comes between us and the word God is interested in the process of what's happening in our lives that we're becoming more and more like Jesus but we want an outcome Sometimes a believer wants another believer's position. Sometimes a believer wants another a, a believer's favor. You know the favor they get from God? Sometimes believers want another believer's gift. Many times believers want another believer's recognition. Now, being inspired by other believers is a good thing. All right, if, other, if other believers inspire us to step out and to step up, that's a good thing. But wanting what they have leads to us doing it on our own. And the thing is, you're going to have a payment you're going to have to make. When you do it on your own, the payment is a payment of sorrow. I want to tell you that there's many business people. There are many famous people. There are many influencers. You know your social media influencers? There are many of them. They've made it big, but they lost their family along the way. And for many people, when they, 
they're squashing their conscience down. Every day is a battle for them to mute their conscience. You know, when their conscience speaks to them, they, they press mute. Doing things on my own leads me to a place where I compromise. And, and I compromise, which now means I'm actually fighting for things that aren't mine. And this is the nature of the war that is raging within our bodies. We're fighting for things that aren't ours. And the spirit of war is robbing the souls of many people. And so the question that you need to ask yourself is, what will we allow to feed our hearts? Because whatever we allow to feed our hearts will either fuel the spirit or it will fuel the flesh. When I covet, I get out of divine sequence. I get out of what God wants for my life and so I become a thief. I start taking what does not belong to me. And the thing that we need to realize is that the heart is the center of all things. It's the center of all things to such an extent that it governs our destination. If we, if we do the right things, we have right actions and we speak the right words, but we speak it with the wrong heart. The corrupt heart is going to cause a problem. That wrong heart is going to let us end up in a place of failure. When you're truly yielded to the Lord, both the outcome and the process are holy. And I want you to understand that the first thing that we have to realize is that the grace of God comes to the humble. The, the grace of God comes to us. You know, when we read the Bible, the, the Bible speaks to us and challenges us in our innermost core. This is why I, I'm so... Um, passionate about telling people to get up in the morning and study the word because when you speak to the word sorry when you read the word and you let the word speak to you the word will challenge you and 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 when you respond to the word you will begin to change and as you begin to change and you learn how to apply the blood of jesus to your life you will change to to learn to become more like jesus but here's the other thing that you have to realize without the blood of jesus we're not good enough for God. With the blood of Jesus, we're good enough for God because of Jesus. You know, you might be sitting there full of guilt today. But when you read a passage like th that one from James 3 and the other one from James chapter 4, we know we're all guilty of that. There's no one that's more guilty than you. And there's no one that you're more innocent than. You know, even the people we criticize, the people we judge, all of those people, yeah, they're guilty. Many times they're guilty, but we're just as guilty. And the issue is what the Lord wants us is to get to the cross so that we can start understanding what Jesus did for us on the cross. He died our death. He took the punishment for our sin. He took our pain for sickness and, 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 and poverty and all of these. He took those curses on his body. And I really want you to think about that today. By the blood of Jesus, we are redeemed. Now, we live in a world that is dominated by Satan. That's why there's so much evil. But by the blood of Jesus, and when we apply the blood of Jesus, we are redeemed from the power of the enemy. 
We are redeemed. What does that mean? He bought us at a price. What was the price? His own blood, his own life that he died on the cross. He got punished for our sin. He got punished because we had lost our crown. And so he takes us, because we believe in him, he takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and puts us into the kingdom of Jesus, the Son of God. He puts us into his own kingdom. Jesus becomes our king. He bought us at the price of his own blood. You cannot even begin to imagine how expensive the blood of Jesus is. There's no sin that you could have ever committed that is, that is more expensive than the blood of Jesus. When you say that your sin's too bad for the blood of Jesus, you know what you're telling Jesus? You're telling Jesus, oh, I'm so awesome. I managed to sin. That a sin that is so big that even your life can't redeem it. It's actually an insult to him. You've got to realize that it's by the blood of Jesus that we're forgiven. Forgiven. Forgiven means, as the Bible says, that God remembers your sin no more. He looks at you like he looked at Jesus. In fact, in one place the Bible declares, as Jesus goes in the world, so are you. If you apply the blood of Jesus and you believe in Jesus and you believe in what he did for you on the cross. Doesn't matter what the sin, I don't care what the sin is. You could have been Hitler and killed six million Jews in the Second World War. It doesn't matter. If you come in faith to Jesus, his blood will wash your sin away. Oh, but that's so unfair for the people who were murdered. I know, it is, eh? But if God were fair, we'd all end up in hell. You're forgiven. That's why it's called grace. It's a free gift from God that he gives. The only thing you have to do is to receive it. And then he says, if I walk in the light and I fellowship with other believers, the blood of Jesus cleanses us now and continually of sin. In other words, he doesn't just fix up my past sins. Now and into the future, now and continuously, he's continuously cleansing us of all sin, which means it's like we're on permanent spiritual dialysis. Constantly being cleansed. And then because of this, by the blood of Jesus, we are justified. It means we are made just. All the injustices we've committed are forgiven. And from then on, the Holy Spirit begins to convict you that you are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. The enemy then comes and condemns you and tries to convict you of sin. God only convicts you of sin to the point where you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He stops doing that and your flesh after that wants to carry on with the guilt. And the enemy wants you to carry on with the guilt. But by the blood of Jesus, you're now forgiven. And by the blood of Jesus, we're now set apart. You see, in my sinful state, I can't serve God. Because the best things I do are like filthy rags in His sight. That's what the Bible says. But now, because of the blood of Jesus, I'm cleansed. My hands that were soiled with sin are cleansed. And now, all of a sudden, He gives me the incredible privilege that I'm able to serve Him. How do you serve Him? I'm at work. I speak to a colleague about Jesus. I'm at work. Someone knows that I'm a believer. They come because they've got a disaster happening in their family and they ask me to pray for them. I go to gym. The other person there, the, the weight falls on their foot. I help them with the weight and, you know, all of this and then share the gospel with them. And whatever, wherever the Lord allows, with wisdom, 
I just start sharing with people about Jesus. That's, that's what Jesus wants us to do. And, and he wants us to be living a life where God is real and we're seeing the miracles of God every single day. But it's a gift. It's a gift. But it takes humility to say, Lord, I can't make myself right with you. I need to be saved. I'm so sorry for my sin. And when I do that and I come with repentance, in Romans 10 verse 8 and 9 it says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise. That's a promise. You will be saved. So what do you have to do? You've got to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. In other words, you're saying Jesus is Lord. Now what does it mean if Jesus is Lord? It means He owns you. And the more of, of you He owns, the more He will work in your life. And then you say, and you so you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead what is the biggest thing that you have to believe in order to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior that God raised him from the dead God raised him from the dead that he ascended to heaven that right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father he's your advocate, he's your lawyer he's defending you with his own blood every time an accusation is brought before the throne of God Jesus presents the evidence of his own blood to say, no, you're innocent. No, there's justifications happened here. No, 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 no. That is, yeah, there was an injustice, but, but, but just, just the blood. Justice been done. That sin's been punished. The devil doesn't want you to know the power of this. And so in all the other things we fight for, he's actually fooled us out of our eternal inheritance. And so I want you to realize today your eternal destiny is at stake. Today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. Don't say, I'll, you know, if you had a side, don't say I'll wait until later, I'll just pray at home. If you're listening to audio, maybe you're sitting in a taxi or somewhere, maybe you're at work, whatever, and you're listening to audio. Don't say, no, I'll wait till I get home. No, no, do it right now. Do it right now, because God is speaking to you right now. He's saying, right now, I want you to commit to me. When you come to this altar of mine, it sacrifices everything. And don't think, oh, I'm going to have some better prayer time later. No, no, now's the time. The Lord saying, now's the moment. Now's the moment. And, and when you respond to this call, what you're saying to him, you're saying, Lord, I want you. Lord, this is my time. This is the time. Lord, I want to commit to you right now. I want to submit my life completely to you right now. I can't wait until I get home. I can't wait until later. I can't wait until I'm alone. I can't wait. Lord, I want to commit to you right now because I don't want to live eternity far from you. I want to live close to you from this day on because one day when my death comes knocking, I want to know that I'll be okay because you'll be with me for all eternity. You'll be walking with me through that doorway. I want to know, Lord, now. That's what you're saying. You're saying, Lord, give me this assurance. And so I'm going to ask everyone in the sights to close your eyes. And if you're at one of the sites, I'm going to ask you in a moment to raise your hand. If you want to give your life to Jesus or recommit your life to Jesus. If you're at home, 
I'm going to ask you to send an email to info at theactivechurch.org. That's info at theactivechurch.org. If you're giving your life or you're recommitting your life to Jesus. And so if, if that is you, then right now where you are, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand or send that email. Over your hands have gone up. Some hands have gone up. Some more hands are in the front. I really want you just to think about this. I just want to ask you once more. One of you, you might be sitting there in your living room watching this. And I believe the Lord's speaking to you right now. I just sense it. As you're watching this, He's speaking to you. He's saying, send that email. Send it right now. Just put in your contact details so we can contact you, but send it right now. Just sense the presence of the Lord over this place right now. He's touching you. His Spirit is moving over you. It is supernatural. It doesn't make earthly sense. Put your right hand on your heart right now. And I want you just to visualize Jesus. See him dying on the cross for you over 2,000 years ago. And understand as you see that death happening that the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. He never changes. And that same sacrifice that he made for you over 2,000 years ago, that same blood that he shed is looking for the sins of people to wash away right now. It was the price that he paid for our sin. It's a full and final payment. When we receive this, he says it is finished. And so we're going to pray together. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, today I recognize that I'm a sinner. I repent of everything I've done wrong. I renounce my life of sin. And I accept your sacrifice. And I know that it was the price you paid for my redemption. And today, Lord, I ask that the blood of your wounded body wash me of all my rebellion, all my sin, set me free from any sickness and from any pain. I accept that my debt has been paid. There is no outstanding balance because you paid everything for me on the cross of Calvary. I accept that by your blood I'm justified and you see me as though I'd never sinned. And by your blood, I'm sanctified. And you have chosen me to serve you. I'm willing to serve you. And today, I open the door of my heart. And I invite you to come in as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. And giving me eternal life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.